Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? All right, and you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for coming on to the show. Oh, you're welcome. I was so... I haven't prepared anything. I hope that you're going to answer, ask the questions and I'll just answer them off the cuff. How does that sound? <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, basically, um, I was really impressed by your stories when I read it uh, about four years ago in a polygraph oh. book that um, someone had sent me. And I read the whole thing in like five and a half hours. But I mean, wow. I, I was so impressed. I was like, wow, this guy's life sounds like a James Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, are, there, there, are, there have been, well, most of it hasn't been like that, but I've had my moments, put it that way. Um, thankfully, not, not all that often, but uh, they've been there amongst uh, quite a lot of rather boring accountancy. There have also been some interesting moments, no doubt. I am actually going to probably, well, my plan is to redo that. Um, you were talking about the last hundred pages, effectively, of uh, Claude, Uncle Claude, as I call him, Cartaginese's book, uh, The Polyglot Project. Yes, with the, the, that lovely green book, which is practically out of print now, and every every copy of it's worth about $200. So that was quite a good investment when I bought 10 of them. So, oh, yeah. yes, I'll, pro I'll probably write that again. I'll probably, or I say write it, I'll, I'll probably enlarge it a little bit, go through it again and make sure that... Uh, any any other interesting details that could be that could be added or added and turn it you know maybe into a, into a book on its own right. and then, then publish it as an ebook. I keep wanting to do ebooks, but the problem is I can't make the ebook software that I bought really user friendly for me. I, I need to invest time into doing it, and I never seem to have any time. So that's uh, that's not the um, that's not a very good way forward unless I actually force myself. Everything's about discipline, really, in, in, cre in creativity. It's one thing to have a creative vein, but quite another to have enough discipline to follow it through. Oh, yes. I, I definitely can understand that, given that I come from a creative background. Right. And, I mean, I studied theater and, and film in college. And, mm. I mean, I was, I was okay at political science and psychology and sociology and history and philosophy. But... My my whole leaning was the arts. I wasn't a math or science person, so mm -hmm. it was language, it was literature, and yeah. I, I like to read a lot. So I was just like blown away. I was like, wait a minute, this guy's like story could have been a book by itself. And then I'm sitting there thinking to myself, is there a book? <laughs> and I keep on meaning to write to write it. I mean, I did have uh, when Claude was kind enough to suggest that I wrote it. Um, I, I, for some by happenstance, I had a bit of time and I wanted to do it once it was there. I mean, I, I think it's got some imperfections in it. And obviously, we've moved forward now about five years and even more, maybe six years in time since I wrote it. So there are more things to add at the end of it. Life goes on, obviously. Um, and, uh, and so I would like to, to sort of like take that those hundred pages as, as they are in that book. I mean, if, if you wrote them a bit more, you know, densely, there wouldn't be a hundred, but maybe I could make it so that it's worth actually putting into a decent sized book. I'm not saying publish it on paper, probably it'd be a waste of paper, but 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 as an ebook at least so that people could could um, could read it and maybe I could read I could also read it out, I get a studio and read it properly. Um, so that people who like going to sleep to somebody's voice could have something to go to sleep to. For my listeners in 70 countries around the world um, that may have heard of you but may have not heard of you, uh, could you tell uh, some about what, you know, how you got started in this whole language learning journey of yours? I suppose I was always a little bit fascinated by the fact that people spoke differently. And I think that maybe that all kicked off when I went from one part of England to another part when I was very young. So I, I, I kicked off in the north, you know, I was born in the north of England. And um, I'll, 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 I'll speak a little bit, you know, I don't know, are you familiar with different accents from different parts of England, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you've uh, ever heard like a Geordie accent. 
And like yeah. people talk from like that's the way people talk up in Newcastle. So what, the way I'm talking now, like, is the way I would have talked, except mm -hmm. it would have been a bit more high pitched. When mm -hmm. I were a little, like a little lad, yeah, a small child, mm -hmm. I would have spoken like the way that I've just spoken now in that accent. Mm -hmm. But at the tender age of about four, four, I think yes, four years of age, um, my parents decided that they didn't want me talking very common. Um, and so they took me down to the south of England and we ended up in a place called Harlow, Essex. Um, and I went to a nursery school um, and at the end of my first day, I, I remember finding it difficult to understand what these people were doing because I was so used to, actually, I mean, my parents were teachers and during the day they'd leave me with my, with my mother's mother's mother, my great grandmother. And she had a very, you know, she was a Victorian. So she had like a, a pre-BBC uh, Geordie accent, a very strong Geordie accent, which I picked up. I probably had one of the strongest Geordie accents at that time uh, that somebody in my generation could possibly have. Mm -hmm. And um, coming down to Essex, you know, uh, my mother picked me up at the end of the first day from nursery school and she said, well, how did David get on? And they said, well, he's a nice boy, but we don't understand a word he's saying. Wow. So, so as you see, it was just two forms of, you know, British English. Americans often say, well, you, you speak British English. Yeah, but which one is what I always answer, because there are many forms of British English. Right. And, right. and, and for them to understand me with a strong Geordie accent wasn't easy. And for me to understand them wasn't easy. And when I came down, we, we came and we went up back up north again for a little while. And we came back down and landed in Hemel Hempstead, which is a new town near London. Mm hmm. And, um, you know, whereas I would have still been speaking in a Geordie accent when I arrived there, you know, I was hearing people and trying to make friends with people who would talk, you know, like this, uh, we're talking like this in kind of North London kind of Hertfordshire fringe kind of accents. And if, if somebody was, I'll be saying like a normal English person might say, oh, look, it's a feather, you know, floating in the breeze. And I, I heard them say, oh, look, it's a feather. Like that, you right. know, I thought well, I could barely almost, understand. Almost, almost like a Cockney accent. Yes, it's very close to a Cockney accent. It's really because it's, a, it's London fringe. Right. Um, uh, and um, it's almost like it's, you'd have to be from the area to tell the difference, I think. Um, because I can, there's a certain twang about the real East End accent that I can pick up an East Ender because it's not that far off the way that they were talking in the town I grew up in, in Hemel Hempstead. Mm -hmm. But um, I imagine an American wouldn't find it easy to tell the difference between someone from like North London or for someone from South London or somebody from East London. You'd have to be uh, somebody from that kind of area who's heard a lot of different kinds of accents. And they don't, they're not really distinct. They kind of run into each other. And the other thing is they change from generation to generation so that what you have now with the young Londoners these days is, is something else again than what you had when I, when I were a lad, you know, so, so it's, it, right, it's all, right. these accents are, f are fluid. Um, so, so they're not always the same thing, but, but certainly what it caused me to do is to start to take an interest in why it is, how I can start to go through a procedure beginning to understand what these people are saying to me. And of course, it's not that difficult to start to understand different versions of English after right, all they are right. the same language but when you're four years of age it's or by this time probably five years of age it starts to become more difficult and I was kind of like play around with it a little bit you know mm -hmm. and um, by the time I, um, I I would hear for example the Eurovision Song Contest and then you know which is actually going on this week as we speak um, it's been well I mean it's how many years is it now that I've been watching this probably 50 years um, and, um, and and I used to love it because you used to hear people singing songs in yet other languages. And of course, I didn't understand them like I do now. A lot of these languages. Um, and but in those days, you had to sing uh, in your country's language, unless it was something like Malta, which so many people speak English that they were kind of allowed to sing in English. But most people, if it was France, they were supposed to sing in French and not in English and nowadays anybody sings in what they like and it's a bit of a pity really um, but um, but but back in those days I mean it fascinated me to see these 
you know, nice people from different parts of Europe all singing in different languages. Um, and it, it kind of was the first thing that made me aware of it all, really. And of course, we also had French French exchange people that went to the schools that my, that my parents taught in, and they would sometimes bring them around to eat at our house and so that I could get exposure to people from a different country and sometimes, you know, ch chat to them. And even, even while I was still at school, at eight years of age, we started to learn French, you know, that was interesting for me. So, and also we even had, when I was 10 years of age, we even had a little um, trip out to France. And by that time I was able to speak a little bit of French, um, you know, uh, so, so it was, it was a, just an interesting thing to that these things were, um, were uh, you know, around. Uh, one one thing was my mother. She used to collect stamps, you know, and mm -hmm. she used to try and get me interested in doing stamp collections with her. The actual stamps themselves, well, you know, classifying what have you, is moderately moderately interesting. Um, and looking at the views on them and the different pictures, if there was anything to do with an animal or a, or a plant or a, a fish or anything like that, I was very interested. But in the main, what what started to interest me is that the different writing systems and the different languages that you would see, because of course most people's stamps have got words on them. The country that it's from or whatever, it's only the UK that doesn't have that, just has the, the Queen's head and then everybody's supposed to know that it's the UK. But uh, most people's um, stamps have got, uh, most country stamps have got words on them. And, and my mother said, do you, want to, do you want to collect stamps with me? And I'd say, mother, you, you collect the stamps and I'll collect the words which are written on the stamps. That was what was the most fascinating thing. Oh, I, wow. I became, well, I became fascinated in animals and plants as well, but I, what I ended up doing was learning all their scientific names so that I knew the scientific names of literally hundreds of birds, of mammals, of, of plants, of fish, and of course all of their families and genuses and, and, and classes and phyla that they were in and you know it seemed to me as though I wanted to be a biologist but what I was really doing was linguistics I just right. didn't realize it I thought that's what biology was um, you know knowing a lot of scientific names that was biology when they started talking about well, no you've got to understand how peptides work if you want to be a biologist or how proteins are broken down well this is boring let's go back to the the, the, the taxonomy again yeah so I was really I was really a linguist when I thought I was going to be a biologist yeah. Oh wow! So no. so so um, it kind of naturally happened that that's what I was interested in, you know. And I think a lot of people resonate with that because the the interest in language creeps up on you. You know, you use language, and in a sense, you start to use language unconsciously. But then you suddenly realise, as part of being conscious, you say, "Wow, I'm conscious." And what is that consciousness? Well, part of that consciousness is to be able to, you know define things um, and, and, and describe feelings or ideas and the only way that you can do it is to use language so what's this thing called language is what is this language and, and how am I using it to think and that mm -hmm. turns into an interest in the language per se and, and what the limits of it are um, and people might go in the direction of conlangs and seeing what limits there are and I've certainly done a bit of that but I, I don't have anything really worth publishing, you know, I've, I've got a couple of them that I've made, but it's, it's uh, a lot of work's been done by a lot of people on, on seeing where the limits are. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's, it's, it's also very interesting, but, um, but, but most interesting of all is to observe, you know, rather than have man, I say the man-made, they are obviously all man-made, but not intentionally made by one person, not authored as it were languages, but ones which have developed in societies you know mm -hmm. uh, those are the interesting languages the ones that have come about by you know the the action of people rubbing up against uh, people's minds rubbing up against one another um and and as a result you get language yes that's the interesting thing that is interesting because actually i've interviewed a lot of people um since I started my podcast show last year and I've got so many different takes on how they started, you know, becoming interested in languages. And this is the first time that I've heard someone say, you know, they found they've, they've become immersed in it either from 
collecting stamps or the environment that they're in, whether it's plants, animals, etc. It, it to me is fascinating because usually I just get stories about okay, I went to school, I found, uh, you know, I studied this language, etc. And so, I mean, for me, it's it's really fascinating to hear someone else saying I've I've become um, fascinated by learning, you know, how to speak something totally different from you know the environment around them. Well, I, I think that language learning at school is an interesting thing, but uh, but quite frankly, I was already I was already starting. I, I was when I look back at it, I was starting before anybody tried to teach me in school and. I was looking forward to learning French in school, but when I actually came to it, I found the actual experience of learning with a teacher maybe a little bit even disappointing, although it was, it was, it was good as well. As subjects went, I enjoyed the languages, yes, but a real eye-opener was, was when I started to learn German. Mm -hmm. um, I had done a year's Latin. We do that in, well, I don't know whether people do it these days, but certainly in the kind of school that I went to, which wasn't, you know, it was a comprehensive school, but it had been a grammar school and there was still the Latin teacher. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's on the national curriculum now. However, okay. at the time it was, and, and a year's Latin we had, and we had this rather, I had a rather, I don't want to be rude to, but he's probably, he's probably with the Lord already, so it's not going to hurt anyone, but he was a rather stuffy, stuffy kind of character. And I didn't get on with him very well at all. In some ways, I just wanted to provoke him the whole time. <laughs> um, and um, uh, he, he was a stuffy character um, and, and I didn't enjoy his lessons however I thought Latin itself as a language might be interesting I just didn't get on with the teacher and I, and I had other things I wanted to do in the time um, that he was droning on and so basically I disrupted his class all year and then just before the exam which is the end of what we call a second year people are 12 years of age 12 mm -hmm. to 13 when this happens in the UK. Now they call it different. I think they call it year eight, but it was, it was, year, it was year two when I were a lad, yes. So, so um, mm -hmm. um, we, um, uh, we had this, this exam and of course he just, told, he just told us, you know, you have to go through this and this. And if you know everything which is in our book, then you'll score very well in the exam. I thought, okay, well, fair enough. It's not a big book. It was a little Latin, some people say primer, I say primer. Um, for a year's Latin at school, and well, what did I do? I just simply went through it, and 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 I learned it, and I learned it over the course of about a week in my oh, own wow. time. Oh wow! Um, and um, just in just basically some of it I picked up already, but most of it I'd not bothered too much with it. But I just had to look and carefully went through it. In, in a week or so, and then we went to the Latin exam. I think I got something like 97% uh, um, ma, yeah? Um, as, as a certain series of books is very fond of saying, I got a very, very high mark, the highest mark in the class from my own study, rather than going through any notes I'd taken because I hadn't bothered to take any. So, so um, I just going from the book and learning the book in a week, I came with 97% through his exam. And of course, he was absolutely livid. He was completely furious that a student who had given him so much trouble all year with his lessons, okay, being disruptive, cheeky. Um, sorry, that's my son. He's autistic, so he, he likes to make a noise in the background. Um, um, so, uh, but, but this teacher was really upset that I'd had the temerity to get the best mark in the class and he even wrote a bad comment about me saying I'm really upset that the, a student who could get 97% in the exams has been so so useless a student all year round and didn't do any work etc and he's got the best exam result and um, and then the headmaster commented after that in my report for that year you know it's rather strange isn't it that, that somebody sets an exam where the worst student ends up with the with the best mark so he actually uh, got got his got got his sarcasm aimed right back and that, that that headmaster was always a little bit on my side i remember him uh, i remember him very fondly unfortunately the guy committed suicide um, that's uh, nothing to do with me, I hasten to add. 
Um, oh, wow. Point, that's very, very sad. I thought, he, I, I thought very, very highly of him. He helped me a lot, you know, even to get, get into Cambridge. He helped me. He gave time to me and what have you. And, well, life treated him unfairly, I would say, that uh, headmaster that, that, that was always on my side. But um, uh, he, he, I liked him, but uh, unfortunately, uh, society didn't. Unfortunately, and uh, didn't end well for him. But um, but um, th this was uh, at least an experience which taught me that yes, if you you can learn better sometimes when you ignore the teacher. That that that's as far as language is concerned, that's for sure. That's true. Yes, in most cases. Um, and um, a lot of people who listen to your podcast might well be language teachers, and they may they might be horrified to hear that. Um, it doesn't mean to say there's no role for language teachers. It just means that the best language teachers are going to be a little bit humble, a bit, little bit more like coaches, and they're going to make the student empowered, make the student do more of the work, uh, right, and basically right. to answer questions and not try to, to you know, to, to give guidance on how to actually turn that student into a self-learner. Yeah, and if they can do that, then they're really earning their money um, rather than simply spoon feed it all the time. Um, yeah, people yeah, I noticed that ad infinitum because that's what teachers do who only are there to make a quick buck and they make additional money out of the fact that their students fail and come back again because no language student who fails because they've got a bad method realizes that it isn't their fault it was the teacher's fault they think it's their fault and if they try a bit harder this time next next term it will work so they come back they pay their subs again and they go through the same old cycle again and again. I don't like language teachers who do that. I think they need to be ashamed of themselves. And that's why I never I never pull my punches. But those who do, uh, in a position of teaching people languages, understand that they're coaches and to give people techniques, good techniques, and say to them about uh, how they can teach themselves, those people are great. And, and, and I was about to talk about when I started learning German at school, um, gentleman called David Morgan, and I saw him a couple of weeks ago. I was delighted to see him. He actually went out after he taught us for a few years. He actually went out to Africa uh, as a Wycliffian, and he translated large portions of holy scriptures into a language called Lobala, which is in the Lingala group, but slightly different. It's not all that mutually comprehensible with Lingala, so they needed their own and everyone deserves their own translation. Um, a lot of them do speak Lingala, but not necessarily mm -hmm. all of them. And so that he gave them um, their large proportions and other people have, I believe, completed their uh, their Lobala um, Bible. Yeah. Uh, and so that was that was a big job for him to do. He, he was on the team that gave them literacy. I asked him, by the way, um, do you need more linguists who are believers to be uh, to come into Wycliffian young people today to join the Wycliffians and and still work hard at the remaining languages that there are in the world that don't have a translation? And he says, yes, he does. But I said, what what do you need them to have? Because when I was a when I when I was young and I thought about it myself, you know, mm -hmm. they needed you to have a, a bit of professional um, professional background you know of, of having worked having already had a successful track record in, in some kind of a business or profession or, or something like that and then kind of sacrifice all that by going out to the mission field that's no longer the case but what they certainly do want is that people are good at teamwork so anybody who's listening to your podcast who's who wants to translate the bible into a into a language which um which hasn't got it yet and wants to join the Wycliffians, then um well, I, I can see them in the right direction, but the, but the thing that, that David Morgan, who is their director of training, wants, he wants people that are really good at teamwork um, because it's never going to be a solo effort. Right. The thing isn't going to be a solo effort. And since then, I've been, I've witnessed how uh, the church that, that, I, that I'm part of in, in, um, in Warsaw has been or uh, you know, has been involved in making a, another, another translation, another version of an older translation of, of the Bible, and that's also been a massive uh, teamwork. I was very much on the periphery of that very, very s small, small, small amount of involvement, but again, a wonderful blessing to do it, and uh, right. it's an amazing teamwork to do a big, 
translation of a holy text, is you really have to have, it can't be the work of just one person. It has to be a work, uh, a teamwork, a work of the body. So that's, that's, um, that, 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 that's something I'm sure you've got people listening to your podcast that will be interested in that. So I'll put that out there. But this guy is, who's, who's the German, the German teacher, he, his first lesson, and I, I repeated back to him a couple of weeks ago when I saw him again, and he was amused that I still remembered it after all these years. And I'm, I'm, you know, you, you've, you've opted to learn German, uh, and I'm here to, to, to be, obviously, your teacher, but you have to really teach yourself. I'm here to coach you. My, my role, I see my role as more as a coach and what have you. And I realised that what he was saying was true because I'd had the same experience with Latin the year before. Mm -hmm. So I respected this guy. I really respected this guy. And, um, and, and a lot of people didn't because he was very young as a teacher. And he was quite, you know, small. He was small, young, looked like almost like one of the, one, one of the students. Um, but, but I saw he really had honesty, you know, this guy. And, and so, um, yeah, what he said and the way that he went about things, um, in turn, inspired me, I think, to teach myself Russian. And that shaped what I went on to do at university. I did German and Russian at Cambridge. And that shaped in turn doing much more uh, philology and history of language work with um, more Slavonic languages, more Germanic languages, historical ones, looking at old texts. Right. Um, and that in turn started to involve me in a lot of rapid learning of languages in order to have a reading ability in them. Um, I'm not so bothered about people always going on about speak this, speak that, speak from day one, you know, the Benny. I love Benny, don't get me wrong. If Benny probably listens to your podcast, if he's listening, I, I don't want him to think that I'm getting to him at all. I don't even know if he does or not, actually. Well, I'm sure he must. But um, but but if he's listening, I, I certainly am not trying to criticise him. His, his his view is valid for people that want to do what he want what he does. Yes, right. Um, I've never been concerned about the whole business of speaking. I know people are you know they always regard it as the gold standard if you can jabber away in a different language, but that can't be done in many many languages. They they're never going to be at the tip of your tongue all right. at once. And if you expect that standard of yourself, you won't become a much of a polyglot whereas if you get to the point where you can happily read with good understanding and good analysis of the text that you're reading and understand the nuances in the text then as long as you can do that you can really build a good knowledge of the language and then really it's only three days from from arriving in an immersion scenario like going to the country right and being quite happy speaking um with a degree of fluency and not getting all tired or too quickly so um, you do so you yes. do um agree with um stephen Krashen's comprehensible input method um to a degree i do i do agree with comprehensible input and the st stuff also being done by people like ollie and, and alex and what have you um on on producing such uh texts i think it's all very useful um, what I would say is that, that, that when you're learning, it's interesting to, to learn something which is a little bit more than what you, what you already can, are comfortable with. Right. Um, however, at the same time, I don't really like, you know, oh, Ollie's going to get upset with me. I don't want to upset Ollie. I, I love Ollie. He's a lovely guy. But, um, but you know, the, the kind of short stories that he does... I, I, I kind of like look at them and think, well, that's all very well, Ollie, but I want to be really learning the, the classics of Spanish literature. I want to get into some, you know, I want to get into some, you know, real, real literature itself. Right, right. And I found that I, the way that I do things is a little bit quicker than going through that way. So you, whilst I, I wonder, work, mm -hmm. it works all right, but I think that it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time into, when I say it takes a lot of time, what I mean is, not that it isn't quicker in the terms of if we were racing, yes? If, if, if I said to you, hey, Chanel, let's you and I have a race. Do you, do you know this or that language? Let's pick one at random, you know, Quechua or whatever, some, some, some language. 
um, let's race and see who gets first to, to fluency or who gets first to position where they can simply read out an unseen passage from the literature and can translate it yeah um, okay. um, with with good with you know with a good you know maybe not word perfect but with with a good basic understanding um, the, getting there from day one to you know let's say day 50 getting the furthest that's one way of doing it but if you right. place a lot of hours in the day you can do it but most people don't once they finish being students they don't have that much time anymore so i've got a family i've got a job you know i've got more than one job now i've got i'm self-employed so that means i've got a bunch of jobs for different clients so so um so, so nobody has the time to do a lot of learning they they have to take their time when they can get it so right. you need to have something which kind of cuts to the quick as it were gets you exactly where you want to be as quickly as possible so right. i find that you know for this reason i developed this gold list method that no doubt you've heard of yes yes well, i know you've heard of it because you're in the gold list method user group which is nice that um but uh, yeah i haven't i haven't actually used it yet i i guess because of the fact that i'm all audio and less visual and more mm -hmm. tactile yeah. i depending on the language depending if i know the braille code or not mm -hmm. um you know i mean i can read braille and russian see i really don't know because i mean i don't think i don't really see when it comes to you know, vision or visual impairment. Right. Uh, I'm not sure um, the best way forward, because obviously I haven't been visually impaired. But one thing I will say is that part of the goalless method is what I call audio front loading, right. whereby, you know, I expect people to have done before they even start goal listing to have an inner voice in the language so they know what the sound of it is. Right. And the deep structures, which they can obtain by doing things like Michelle Thomas courses or Paul Noble courses, um, right. which I think are very good, basically similar to, to Michelle Thomas, but a little bit more, I think, considered uh, Paul Noble's a good guy. Um, and, and, um, and, and, then the, uh, and then the Pimsler, the Pimsler stuff, which you can get. And, uh, and then you've got even these things by innovative language learning, which is a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there. Oh, I, I pretty much know someone that works there. I, I pretty much have an in with somebody where I can get whatever language I want for three months for free. I just download the information onto the app. And then once the three months is over, I keep all the information I, I downloaded. That's good. But since a lot of your people, um, your listeners won't have that advantage, right. I'll give another tip. And that is... Audible. If you're on audible.com or audible.co.uk, if you're over in the in the European Union, audible.de is also available. Right. Um, audible. If you if you're interested in language, um, and I mean, I mean, if you know, if we're talking about visual impairment, it means that you know you've you've got less that you can do with one sense, and so in a sense. The other senses have got a kind of, you know, it's a bit of a cliche to say this, but other senses have got to have got to make up the slack. Yeah, they've got to make up the difference. So, you're going to have much more to do with the sound of the world around you, the smell, the taste. You know, that that may be a bit of a cliche. I don't want to to, to say that uh, it's necessarily true because people say it's true. You're the one that's uh, experiencing it rather than me. But I would have imagined, and you can say whether it's true or not, that. You know, audio books are a, are a very, very big boon to people that are visually impaired. Um, depending on the person, because everyone's um, visual impairment is different, so it's it's based off of the visual acuity of the person. So when, like, if they're defined legally blind, that means that their vision is probably anywhere between twenty over two hundred and under. So some people can actually still drive a car, but it might be in the daytime. They might be restricted. Some people yeah. might be able to read large print books still and read the words that's on the computer screen. Some people might be able to, like in my case, my central vision is, is 
poor in regards to distance. So I can't see small things like subtitles, for instance, on the TV screen. But if I, I could see the people on the TV screen and I could watch TV, but I can't, like if someone put a plate of food down, I wouldn't be able to tell you what was on that plate of food. Yeah. Because the details too small, but I can still see the buildings, the people. I, think, I mean, it, it means you're, you're automatically then forced back onto smell, taste, texture. Um, and maybe, I don't know, you know, uh, I like to think, and uh, you can tell me if it's true or not, uh, I like to think that, it, that, that at least, you know, as long as you have those other senses, you can still derive a lot more enjoyment, a lot of enjoyment, and maybe certain, in, certain I mean, it's, like I say, it is a cliche that people that have one, one um, of their senses impaired, the others get better. Um, but uh, but it, it seems to me as though you might well find that you have... Um, a, a, a sense of taste which is more schooled or more aware than maybe somebody that's already practically eaten their food by watching it on the plate um, oh, and got it, a lot of I think it depends it, I think it depends mostly on the individual and their vision problem like um, because I was born three months premature one pound 13 ounces 42 years ago mm -hmm. um, I had surgery on my eyes and so they were able to remove the cataracts and they were able to save the sight in my left eye. But because my right eye wasn't developed at all, I have no sight in that eye whatsoever. So really, I, so yeah. have you got a lens? Um, yeah, um, well, I mean, I still have both eyes. The only problem is right. I can't see nothing out of the right one. It's complete darkness. But the left one's the one where I can see the most. I might not be I okay, like I could pick up one of Ollie's paperback books. Yeah. And I can read the title. But when I open the book, I can't read the print in it. So it's limited on, on how much I can I can I used to grow I grew up But I mean is it a question of the optic nerve? Have they told you, you know, is is it yeah. the optic nerve and the retina or is it the lens, the front of the eye? It's the retina. The retina. Yeah, so like, like for it's instance, it's not working with the optical nerve, the optic nerve, it's not giving a signal from whatever might be in there. Um, not well, to the I brain. Mean, okay. like, like, I can see the bigger picture, like, I can see people, I can mm -hmm. see what they have on, I can do some reading if it's bigger, if it, the print's yeah. big. Yeah. But let's say it's like 36, 48, 60 font, yes. if it's 12 font, you could forget it. Yeah. So it's more like Do you use like a, a magnifying glass at all or anything like that? Um, no, well, no. Um, as far as reading is concerned, no. I mostly use um, voiceover on my Apple on my Apple devices, and then mm -hmm. I have a Braille display I can pair with my Apple devices to read the words that are on the screen mm -hmm. from the display in Braille. However, a lot of my methods. Are nothing but audio. Like I, 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 I cook. I clean. I do all that stuff. Like I can see what a McDonald's sign looks like because it's big enough. But if we go inside of the building and you yeah. see the you see the menus that's behind the counter, yeah. I can't I can't read the menu, but I can see you everything have, behind. You have the a counter. service dog, yes. You have. Uh, I think you have two puppies, but I see you have a service dog. Yes. Yes. Main mm -hmm. one. Uh, yes. That's helpful. Yes. I've had him for going on five years now, come July. Okay. But I, I was a cane user for 20 years prior to that. So, I mean, I learned print when I was a little girl. Like, I learned how to read print and write print from the age of four. Hmm. And then the older I got, the worse my readable vision got. So, now I've just pretty much... Um, chucked it up to okay I do a lot more listening and I mean I've developed a method of my own where I'll sit and I'll listen to something in a particular language right and and if and then visually I kind of like if I'm learning the grammar of that language if it's like Cantonese for instance and you have to put um, 
Longjai um, at the end, 50, approximately 50 minutes at the end, but then you got to put the, the place where you're going in the middle, and then you got to put where the vehicle for which you went in before that, and then everything else before that. I, I pretty much am able to shift all those words into my head um, without even knowing the alphabet or anything. So and, you're learning Cantonese, yes? Oh, uh-huh. That's a bit of a challenge because it has so many tones. But then, of course, because you have, um, you know, absolutely no impairment on the audio side, but on only on the visual side. Right. You may actually find it to be... Um, not not such an impairment at all when it comes to Cantonese because mm -hmm. when it comes to Cantonese, I mean, it's you've got to have a very very good hearing. I think oh, how many yeah. eight tones they've got? They got like six or nine, but I'm also learning Turkish and Thai too. Turkish, okay. Yeah. Well, Turkish is 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 not, um, in my opinion, it's not hard to to read and pronounce it from the from the root from the writing yeah so obviously it helps the fact that uh, thanks to that wonderful chap um ataturk we have mm -hmm. a nice easy alphabet um, right. uh, uh, and, and a wonderful man he was and unfortunately uh, not not with us today and we hopefully get a new one one day but um but um uh, he uh, he did a big service in, the, in the, most of the world who knows to, how to, to speak and or to read and write in Latin characters can easily get hold of, you know, you can easily quickly understand the orthography well enough that if you, you know, you, you're reading along in right. Tur or ordinary Turkish, it's easy to get a good idea as to how something's going to be pronounced. Right. And vice versa, right. if you hear something said to you, it's easy to work out how it's going to be put on onto paper. So that that so Turkish isn't such a big challenge like Cantonese. Well, when it comes to Thai, I mean the problem with Thai is it's got all of these alternative consonants depending on which syllable and whether it's an open syllable or a closed syllable. And it's a bit of a it's a bit of a minefield. I, I looked at it and then put it down. To be honest, with you me. know, it's funny you it's say very... that because I'm going to be interviewing Suji Raj and his wife next month. Oh, what a wonderful man! And and I because I had asked him a question because it's I wanted this stuff brilliant. Oh, I love <laughs> his YouTube channel. Like I learned yeah. so much from his YouTube channel, and like and he's such a great guy. Yeah, I was so interesting to me, and I told him this. I said I'm not like the typical polyglot out there. I like to learn about the history, the culture, the people, how to think. The food, because I'm a big foodie. I love food and to cook different foods from different countries. And yes. to order food. So my goal is to learn enough Thai, even if it's A1 Thai, to be able to go to a Thai restaurant here in Akron, Ohio, and order in Thai some food and have a basic conversation. No, well, that's not a lot of Thai, because most of the stuff is, is right. Tom, which is soup, isn't it? Car, which I think is Galangal, and Guy, which is I think chicken. Right. So once you know those three words, you, you can go a long way in Thai in a restaurant. Right, and um, I I I said I like to do many goals for myself like that to start off with, and yeah. then I'm interested in politics, and I'm interested in fashion and sports and in literature and history and all that, and so. Yeah. He said, you know, that's amazing you say that because a lot of people, they just want to learn the language just to speak it. They don't even think about the cultural elements. I was like, well, when you're talking to someone, it's not the same as speaking English. Yes, you might say you're yes, right. sir, and no, ma'am. You're right. I mean, culture is the, is, the, is, the, is the real kicker. And I think it's also the place where the men get separated from the boys, if you're part of them, in a sexist way. I mean, it's... Uh, we, if you want it to be more more biblical, the, the sheep and the goats or the wheat and the chaff, but basically it separates out the, the serious from the non-serious learner as to how well they can really um, also imbibe the culture behind the language. Right. Yeah? And I, um, I, I have this like little pet peeve with certain polyglots where they'll sit there and you're giving advice to somebody and then they'll sit and they'll criticize you because either you're 
advice isn't something that they agree with, so then they want to put you down. Mm. Or you're agreeing, or you're trying to ask a question because you don't know the answer to it. Now, mind you, I have no degree in applied linguistics. I don't have any degree in any language whatsoever other than my TEFL certification to teach business English and English for young learners. The rest of my stuff is the arts. You know, the rest of my background. So, at the end of the day, I'm coming from it from a totally different perspective. And a lot of people find my advice to be very helpful to them. Yet, you have certain people where they've become successful or they've been doing it for 30 plus years and they just want to be um, pessimistic and they want to um, patronize because yeah. they think that they, because they went to this school or they have this, you know, it's okay to, to yeah, you got, I know, I know a few of those. Yes. And I know some people in the community that uh, might, uh, might, um, uh, might, might well be described by that kind of um in those terms and I think they know well they probably don't know who they are but um, I've I've had to block people because of that because I I actually had someone tell me they claimed that I didn't know what I was talking about and I said well wait a minute none of us really know what we're talking about there's just some people (laughs) know a little bit more than others right Uh, but none of us actually know much yes look at Socrates what he said yeah Oh, yes, I remember. Yes. Yes. Um, this app likes to be stupid. Uh, I noticed that some that suddenly it all went very, very, um, what's the word, quiet on your side. Yes. What was the last thing you heard me say? We can try and uh, pick it we, up. We were... Will you be able to put it all together again afterwards? Or Yes, I will. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing we, we were talking about um, polyglots and, um, you know, how some of them are, are somewhat pessimistic. Yeah. Well, the, uh, yeah, well, I mean, you get all sorts, don't you? You get people that are basically pessimistic. You get people that say that the glass is half empty. You get people that say that the glass is half full. And then you get others who deny the existence of the glass in the first place. You know, it's like, what glass, people? Right, um, right, and um, <laughs> this is this, this is going to look like a little bit of background noise going to be here. The problem is, I would actually take this outside completely, but it's a bit cold out today, and so I'm in, in a space where my kids and I've got a couple of autistic kids. Okay. And the one that isn't autistic is sometimes the loudest of all, um, and and so it becomes difficult for sometimes to have a, a quiet conversation. So I hope you're. Oh, that's okay. Are, I hope your listeners and you are, well, I know you are, but I hope your listeners are also very tolerant of these things. Oh, I so, they pretty much have a, I have one of those philosophies where it's in real time. So what you, what you hear is what you get. And I mean, I have almost 8,000 people from around the world listening to me. So if they can tolerate it. <laughs> well, if not, then they know that, you know, that they can, they can watch some TV. I'm sure there's something interesting on if, if it's not talking about language, then um, I'm sure they can, they well, can catch the next episode it's, it's, of Nanny or something like that. It's funny because I, I tell people all the time when I created my my podcast that I created it in mind for people who didn't know that there were people out there that were disabled, that learn languages. And, you know, I'm doing this from my perspective, you know, a visually impaired perspective where I'm using mostly audio materials. Not yeah. very many print materials. Now I do buy ebooks because voiceover can read the ebooks. That's a very but, good point. I, I started to make that point about the audible, yes, because yeah, the or, or, the, the or, audible uh, or that's not ebooks so much as that's just still the uh, audio books. But the, but innovative that we that you mentioned about you have a friend there. Yes, that's also there's a lot of the innovative material is being given out. Uh, sometimes really very generous pricing on Audible. So, uh, of course, the most generous, the most generous pricing, or the most uh, toughly negotiated, I dare say, by Amazon pricing, um, so that it benefits the the customer. I mean, um, 
here, um, Mikey Campbell, my friend uh, who does Glossica, he, he's, of course, looking at it from the other side. He's, he's a producer and he, he, he doesn't want to do with them because he doesn't think he gets paid very well by, by Amazon or Audible. But, um, but, you know, quite frankly, it's all in the numbers, isn't it? If you can get a lot of people to right. buy, even if you don't make a lot of profit per piece, you will be uh, well off at the end of the day. Uh, but for as far as people buying is concerned, and I'm a buyer rather than a seller at the moment, maybe that will change, but um, but but I'm a buyer. And for me, I get an awful lot. I mean, I've always bought audiobooks all through my life. Yes, I um, this I thing can't see you stupid. now. Oh, can you hear me now? Hello. Hello? Yes? I can, can barely you hear you. Okay, can you hear me now? That's better, yes. Can you, hear me? Okay. you can obviously hear me okay. We're not having an awful lot of luck uh, with regard to the, uh, to the technical... It's, for some reason, it, it likes to um, be stupid. Okay. <laughs> At well, a certain point, I... Uh, record 100% all the way through, and then sometimes it wants to record, and then to a certain point, it went to stop. I don't know what that's okay. about. I don't know. It's maybe, maybe, maybe it's on my side, maybe it's on your I can't work out, maybe it's somewhere in between. But we, we I think you probably wanted to, to wrap it up with, with uh, maybe you want to ask, you know, some final question or questions, and um, maybe to, yeah. Try to um, now is the, the level of background noise has got a lot higher than it was. As well. Okay, um, so if you had any like tips for people who are you know starting out with their language learning or you know they're like either like A0 to like B2 level, um, well, I got a lot of tips on my am I allowed to push my website, okay. the blog. Hello. Uh, I mean, because there's a lot of there's a lot of tips on that, which is hooliganov. TV. Yes, H U L I G A N O V. TV. And on the right hand navigation, you have to go to the languages and linguistics section on the right hand navigation because there's lots and lots of different topics. There's there's hundreds of of, of things on there. Some of them are films, YouTube films that I've done. Some of which are about language, but it's all it's all you know, classified out into which particular topic it's on. And there's a lot of things about language, linguistics. There's a lot of things about the goalless method there. The bits about the goalless method talk not just about the goalless method proper, but the whole, you know, the whole philosophy of language learning. Right. The order in which to take things and the kind of materials to use and the, and the expectation gap that people have between what they think it's, it's all going to be like and what it really is like. Um, and 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 I think the best that I've, my best advice is all in there. Um, obviously, it can, it's still going to be amended over time to make it really the best that I can possibly do. But uh, there's a lot in there. So then, of course, it's all free. Nobody ever gets charged anything for this by me. So um, yeah, I I've noticed that like um, Dave Crying has said the same thing. He said he was happy to see someone create a podcast show where people weren't trying to buy. You weren't trying to sell something to somebody. I mean, I, because it just seems like yeah, everybody wants you to buy their course. They or, do, they do, and it, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't necessarily condemn people for that because I mean. People put a lot of work into this hobby, just like anything else. Um, uh, and sometimes it's nice to get some return on investment. I suppose I'm fortunate in that in accountancy, um, I've got something which puts meat on the table or bread on the table, whichever you want to have. I'm trying to avoid right. wheat, so I've put more meat on the table now. But uh, but um, the uh, uh, you know, if I didn't have that, maybe I'd be more anxious about trying to do the same thing that some other people are doing with in the community and namely sell products to other people in the community or, you know, do wonderful things like uh, Benny managed to get, you know, uh, an excellent um, relationship going with Teach Yourself. And I saw in a bookshop his books, uh, the quality of what they've managed to put together, it really does look very good. 
Um, and and I'm not, I'm not condemning people to that. I'm not condemning people like Steve and his Ling Q and what have you. It's not for me, but I still think, you know, he's got every right to do it. My stuff's free, um, whether it always will be, because I need to probably develop some kind of a passive income as well when I come to re retire, but it's all free at the moment. And always most of it is going to be free. Um, because it's, you know, just a community of hobbyists, really, as far as I can make out. So, uh, right. so, so if I plug things, it's only because I, I don't really want to repeat again too much the things which I've already written down um, and which are available for free for everybody who wants to read them. And I, I do like it when I get nice hits and everything like that because it makes me feel vain. Um, and so yeah, so it's um, so it's you know, uh, one's ego has to have some outlet, and so there it is, you know. And but hopefully people will find it um, find it useful. Um, and of course, your your um, your listeners are welcome to 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 uh, buddy up with me on any of the uh, social media that I can be found on. You know, whether it's LinkedIn. I run something called Linguists and Polyglots group on LinkedIn, if anyone's interested. I've also got the Goalless Method user group on, um, on on Facebook, or people can simply just make friends with me on Facebook, find me in any of these various discussion groups they've got there. Some of them are rather facile with it, with discussion groups on Facebook, but there are some useful bits, you know. It's like anything. Yeah, you get I, bad I, bits. yeah I've, I've done that where... I started following like Benny Lewis like in the beginning. I read his book and everything. I took what I wanted from it. And then after a while it was like, okay, I'm starting to get better at this, you know, figuring out how I learn so forth and so on. And then I started finding other people that fit my own style, my own, you know, a little more deeper. Then he started becoming more visual with his stuff. So then I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. No offense to him. I mean, I think it's great what he's done. But I more so now navigate towards like Ollie Richards, Luca Lampriello, Moses McCormick, um, uh, Lindsey Williams, Kirsten Cable, um, Alex Rollins. Uh, there's a few others. Yeah, and of course, there's good old Chris Christopher Christoph Broholm. Yes. Yeah, done a, also um, um, like yourself. He's done podcasts interviewing various polyglots. So, so people that like your stuff will probably like his as well. Um, oh, he's been on my he's been on my show, and I've been on his. Yes, well, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, both of you are are, are very similar in um, in approach. I think. Um, yeah, I'm. He's been. He. I've been listening to him and Ollie since like the beginning, and so I pretty much, um, you know, we became uh, friends on Facebook, and and he's been very helpful, supportive, and so forth and so on, and so is Ollie. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I kind of have to pick who I genuinely find be humble. Like I said before, yeah, ego does come into play, and you do have people that aren't always so kind. So I pretty much have to block them out. I mean, I I actually have to say that my dream has actually come true as of recently. I'm this close to to interviewing the top. I think it's like the top four polyglots in the world. Well, who are they? Four five Richard? polyglots in the world. Richard Simcoe. Yeah, I. But he's a lovely yes, guy. He, I'm sure that he would say yes, if you. If oh no, he, I've already in, I've already interviewed him. Yeah. I, I interviewed him, um, Alex Rollins. He's also a lovely um, guy. Vladimir Skoltetti, Jimmy yeah, Mello. Nice I, I don't know him that well, but what I've seen of him, he's he's a very pleasant chap. Yeah. Yeah, but um, he, I mean, you're right. I mean, he's very impressive. I mean, his his abilities are are really yeah, very impressive. I, I, it, I, I actually loved interviewing Vladimir Skoltetti because we were supposed to only have an hour conversation and it lasted for three hours. That was how good the conversation... And, and like he's like the number two most um, listened to podcast that I have on my show so far. Um, Alexei well, Polidoro. They actually listen to the full amount. 
the full uh, yeah. three hours. That's really good. I mean, yeah. uh, when I when I went on with Chris, uh, it, she went over. I think it was about an hour and a half, and uh, he thought that was a quite a long one. I, I actually didn't notice the time go by. Um, if it hadn't, yeah, if it wasn't I... for the fact we had such technical issues today, we probably would have a longer one as well. But uh, it's, I don't know whether your viewers will, will, will put up with me that much. I don't know, but maybe they will. Maybe not. maybe they like. Over two hours. So I can't hear you again. This is it's gone funny again. It's all gone bubbly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I do have to say that I enjoy doing this. You know, um, I get a kick out of actually learning about other people, their language learning stories, their processes, because everyone learns differently. And the fact was, I was like, I need to get David James on this show. I don't. I had to get you on the show. Hello. Yeah. 